An interesting backstory. I think it's important that everybody knows about the Wizard of Oz. A professional with decades of experience in her field. I'm a psychotherapist who works pretty much exclusively with law enforcement officers as well as other first responders. Strong opinions and a definite point of view. What people see on the streets, this job is not normal. Brutally honest and funny. When I get a call in the middle of the night and they've been drinking beer, they're normally crying over a relationship. When they're drinking Jack, they get on the phone and they start off with, hey babe. She identifies problems, probes, pokes, and makes you think. So if something happens to your family, which is truly your biggest fear, and you haven't thought about every single potential of what could go wrong, then you feel like you failed. She has her own special style. You're either part of the problem or part of the solution. Pick a side. Welcome to Step Therapy 911 with Stephanie Samuels. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Step Therapy 911 with Stephanie Samuels. So today, I've got Antonia Gonzalez, known to me for 23 years as Tony. So anyway, Tony, uh, Tony is, is currently a sergeant with the Long Branch or Police Department in, uh, in Middlesex, uh, Middlesex, listen to me, in Monmouth <laughs> County, uh, New Jersey. So Tony, uh, Tony's been an officer for the past 24 years. So she's a sergeant um, on her department, which is going to be able to, to discuss a whole lot of different issues that, that come up having some type of brass as well. Tony was hired in 1996 and attended the New Jersey State Police Academy. In her 24 years, she has worked in several different divisions as a juvenile detective, sex crimes, child abuse, and internal affairs. She worked on earning her bachelor's degree from the time that she left home for the Army. She was a Hawk Missile crew member and was stationed in Texas. She currently is finishing up her master's degree in science, criminal justice, homeland security. Her path into wellness started while earning her degree in health and wellness and writing about how stress affects first responders. In the middle of doing that, something happened that changed the way she felt about it. <clears throat> Tony believes that life is tough, but that we are tougher. It's okay to ask for help, that asking for help is a true sign of strength. So, so Tony and I, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't kind of share that Tony and I, like I said, have known each other for a better part of 23 years, so I will share probably the kind of most heart, heartfelt part is that uh, on October 6th of 1997, Tony would be the last voice I would hear as a woman before becoming a mother. <laughs> that, uh, that that night I, uh, I had given birth to Nicole and it became kind of funny because I did not take my husband's last name. So there's a whole group of people that were looking for me um, to, to send me something in the hospital. And uh, there's, there's much talk about, do you think she was faking the pregnancy? No, you weren't. <laughs> I was the most miserable pregnant person ever, ever. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so uh, Tony has just accomplished so much and Aww. and if you go back you know tw almost 24 years ago when she got on the stigma of of seeking help was far greater than it is today she was new patrol one woman she was one of the she was the first couple that uh she and her husband at that time were married were in the same department so there is you know they were being micromanaged um, on a very different level. And so there are all these obstacles that people face anyway in this career. And that was just um, truly exacerbated by all the other extenuating circumstances. But the, the incident that brought you into me, uh, I think is, it's kind of what people believe that thin blue line 
is. They believe that the thin blue line is really about officers covering for each other and, and that kind of stuff. They don't really think that or understand that the thin blue line truly is what you know, separates civilization from anarchy. And really a decision that you had to make very early on in your career and the ramifications and kind of the struggles and what ended up coming out from that, because I always say, you know, what brings us into therapy is not what keeps us into therapy. So, and just all of your accomplishments. And I want to make sure that we get to talk uh -huh. about, you know, the, the company that you're the CEO of while you, you, you've been on the department, the fact that you do a podcast yourself three times a week on Facebook and just the resilience room. There's so much, there's just uh -huh. so much you've accomplished and just just how proud I am of you. But, you know, this is, this is the Suicide Awareness Month. Yesterday was um, Law Enforcement Suicide Awareness Day. Yeah. Um, and kind of coming on, you know, at the end of the month, really wanting to, to talk about that resiliency piece. What do you do kind of after you really feel like you have reached the end of your rope and you kind of come to that impasse? And, you know, it's like, as I say, you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. How do you take it? Do you just become bitter for your entire career, which is really at the heart right now of our law enforcement community of what they're going through? Um, or do you, do, you, do you use what you had? And that's where that resiliency piece from childhood, from, from all the crap from, from way back when that you pull from. Yeah. So anyway, I kind of take us back 24 years, um, yeah. kind of getting hired and, you know, how many females at the time? I think, was there only one at that point in the, the department? Um, there was three of us. Um, there was one, the first female ever hired was there. And then I got hired with another female. <laughs> so there was three of us. Yeah. Um, only minority? Uh, no, both of, both of us were minorities, I, I believe. Uh, well, I know the other lady was mixed, um, and of course me, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, <Yes>, you, <laughs> so, so kind of take me, uh, take me down the road when, uh, you got hired, you're, you're, you're out kind of what, uh, what that call was like that, uh, okay. that had occurred. The whole call came in, um, someone asking for backup, you know? And I, um, you know, I was only on the job six months. So, and I had just been released by my training officer. So when you hear someone wanting backup, you're immediately going to go. That's what you're supposed to do. I didn't quite uh, know who the person was. I didn't recognize a lot of the voices because it takes time to get to know everyone. But I just heard of the location that I needed to get to. So uh, when I got there, um, if the, he wasn't there. Um, so I, I got out and I asked the, this guy who was out there sweeping and I'm like, it seems just kind of odd, you know? So I got out and I asked him, I'm like, where, where's it, where's the officer at? You know, and he, and he pointed, he pointed at a, at a, at a, in a direction. So I went around quickly and I pull up and I don't see a police car. Um, and I'm like, that's weird, you know? And uh, I didn't even know who was in that car, okay? That, that's how new I was, right? All I know is that I, get out, I, I was the first car there. I got out and I see a limousine. I see another car and then I hear gunshots. And I'm like, what the hell? So I think that there's you immediately think they're shooting at you, right? So I get back in the car and I scream, um, shots fired, shots fired. And um, I should have known that, you know, you don't, you shouldn't yell into a radio because no one could pick that up, you know? <laughs> and I laugh now, but it's not funny. It's not funny, but. I mean, yeah. I, I said you're only on for six months. Yeah, I was like, I didn't know. Shoot, listen, I was in the army before this. Um, I I had shot an M16 before. You know, I, I wasn't new to this. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, 
when that happened, everything went downhill for me. It, it, it was, it, I, everything spiraled out of control for me in that moment. I was in, in control at the scene, but what happened all throughout that whole scenario was everything that I never wanted to ever see. And I just thought it was really um, unfortunate to start out a career watching this nonsense, you know? So I did not know that they were not shooting at us until later, okay? Uh, they started, everybody started arriving after I, I, I yelled the shots fired and um, all, the, all the units were getting there and they're pulling people out of the car, right? Pulling people out of the car, handcuffing people and every, there's like people on the ground, whatever. And this one guy keeps on talking to me, right? And uh, I'm like, the scene was like kind of hectic. And I'm like, the other guy was angry. I was like, I didn't want this to escalate. And he's talking to me, talking to me. He's like, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, okay, just be quiet, be quiet. All of a sudden, I see a foot, right? He makes contact with this guy's head, all right? This guy's on his stomach, handcuffed in the back. And I'm like, holy shit, this is not happening. This is not happening. So I get down on the ground and I'm telling you, everything was nuts that day. Absolutely nuts. Abs I, I'm telling you, I couldn't sleep for days. Um, I, at the time I had a little boy, uh, my son was three. And um, you know, I was married at the time and he was also a police officer. I remember going home and not being able to sleep and trying to talk to my ex about it and him saying, you better not tell nobody that. You better not tell nobody that happened. But I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I just couldn't keep that, all right? Like, I don't care. Like I, I, back then, I wanna tell you it was hard. It was hard because I remember feeling embarrassed. I feel, I felt like I was a, a, a rat because that's what they call you when you do those, you know, when you tell the truth and, and, and something like that. But I just didn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep it inside. I had to tell somebody. And uh, I remember going up to this sergeant who's retired now. And there's two people, there's a lot of people that I really truly love that have held me up. And uh, I went to him and I said, listen, I, I can't sleep, but I got to talk to you some, about something. And he's, he's like, all right, right, come on, pull, pull up. So we pull up to where the 7-Eleven is. Uh, it was the pit back then. And he says to me, he goes, I already know what you're going to tell me. And I'm like, how do you know what I'm going to tell you? He goes, what happened? Tell me the truth. What happened? And I'm like, and I told him, I said, this is what happened. I said, um, you know, I heard three gunshots, I said, and then he kicked him in the head, you know? And um, he's like, well, you have to, you have to tell the lieutenant. Uh, it was another sergeant. You got to tell him he, re he retired as a lieutenant. So they both met with me and I talked to them about it. And I said, listen, I said, uh, I really feel bad that I have to tell you guys this stuff, but um, I just can't sleep. I said, I can't sleep. I said, and I just feel really like, like that's not right. So what happened to me after that uh, was not good. <laughs> I, <laughs> you have to laugh because, you know, people don't accept these kind of things out here like that, you know, and, and it was difficult. It's very difficult. So you ended up, so what kind of happened? What? I said, so kind of take us from there. So you end up writing it. Yep. So I uh, wind up, it was a, it was a, it, it was like a whirlwind of craziness. So I wind up telling those two sergeants what happened. Um, everybody basically was upset at me, you know, um, I was a rat. You know, I don't think I'm a rat, okay? I did back then, but I don't think that now. And people, let me tell you something, it was hard. I'm not gonna lie to you, it was hard. Cause I would go to calls and nobody would show up. 
Yep. And uh, what happens to you when you are like this um, is people hold it against you. You're the good person. You're the good person that is saying this is not something that should happen. And others don't appreciate it, you know? I never, I didn't think I was going to cry, but those were tough times. Who lifted you up? Because, um, because you ended up, you know, as, as we talk about, if we change one thing, we change all the, the series of, of events. Right. And, and you got known for somebody who would do the right thing. Thank you. Who was trusted. Um, and yet there is somebody in your department that confided in you that he was in therapy. Yeah. Yep. He, he did. So there was a couple guys um, who you would never think in a million years would be like, you know, I got your back. And I remember I was working midnights and I was like truly in a bad place you know my my marriage fell apart <laughs> um, my son was little you know i had all these people basically you know whispering as i went down the hall and i basically was out there alone and this guy two guys and i'm not going to mention their names because but they know who they are if they're watching um one of them pulled up next to me he goes listen i want to let you know that you're not alone I said, thank you. I appreciate it. I said, he goes, no, no, seriously. He goes, I know a lot of people are telling you that. He goes, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to backstab you. I said, okay. Um, I already had some trust issues, right? Before I got into this police department and this threw me over the edge. But um, so the second guy, I remember I was, it was midnight as well. And I was on a call and he says, Hey, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing all right. He goes, you're lying. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I know you've been going on a lot. And, you know, I just want to make sure that you're okay. He goes, and that you're not drinking a lot. And I, and I said, well, I kind of like been going out a lot, whatever. And he says, well, here's a card. Uh, and I go to this lady. She's very trustworthy. And I know that you, he goes, I know a lot of people don't like to um, go to therapy because you know, everybody talks about it and, and they might think you're crazy. He goes, but I trust her. So on that, I still have the card. So I still have the card. And uh, I, it took me days to call. <laughs> it took me days to call. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I don't want anybody to, they already don't like me. You know, uh, it, it's tough. Um, I don't know if I, if, if I'm going to do it. And then I saw him again and he was like, Hey, did you call her? I was like, no, I did it. He goes, when are you going to call her? So I said, I'm going to call her. I'm going to call her. And I called. And, um, I remember saying to you, you know, are they going to know that I'm coming to you? Um, are they going to hold it against me? You know, they are really, I, I, I was in a really bad place. Like here I am basically standing alone and I didn't want any more, stuff to to hurt my career you know yep so i'm glad i made the call and i'm glad that i did it um so one of those things one of those the the things we, we talk about this you know i've, I've addressed it a, a whole lot you know is that we are the sum total of all of our experiences and kind of we come on the job we go into any career that we have with with the stuff from our past and the incident for you had triggered something that you had never spoken about. Yeah. Um, which then began, I mean, it, it, it helped explain really the severity of the symptoms because what we were looking at was something that had occurred in the past that you, you know, hadn't dealt with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, diagnostically, sure, you saw you showed signs of acute stress disorder, which you know, you know, most people would after experiencing that. But then comes that, you know, is it post traumatic? Right. And, 
and for you, you ended up with this incredible memory that you said that you wanted to share because that was yep. really kind of significant. So, so you're involved in the shooting. You end up in counseling. Yep. Therapist now goes after shift from the past, not just you know we, we just don't stick with that nice neat package. And you know, and that's that's the importance of a therapist. You know, we can steal money all day long. You know, this meet where your patient is. You know, let them guide you. That's crap. To me, that's just an excuse to sit back and really not do your damn job. Is you know, my job is is to sniff around, to look at the to look at the perimeters, just like you. You know, as a cop, you know, you guys are proactive. You're not reactive. That's the fire department. You know, yeah. you see what's going on. You keep the window cracked. And uh, and for me, that's what was important. It was important to be able to see, you know, hey, what's going on? She's having such an incredibly difficult time. Yeah. Start to be able to probe. And of course, for you, you know, to trust, what would it be like to trust this person? And sure, you know, it doesn't make a difference how many people say she's trustworthy. That's great for them. But for me, this is my life. Yeah. And kind of, you know, how that, how that occurs truly over time. So we end up sniffing around and you have this memory and yeah. you bring it in. Yeah. Go ahead. So right at, there was something always, when I shot the M16, I never used to get, a, I never had a breathing problem, right? And I was really good at it. But whenever I shot a, 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 a regular weapon, like the nine millimeter that we had, something would happen and I would lose my breath. And I didn't understand where that anxiety was coming from. Um, I didn't know it, but when that incident happened at that location, hearing those shots did something to me. And I started having dreams of uh, a really crazy scenario happening. And I was like, I am really losing it. I really thought, I, I remember saying to you, listen, I'm, I think I'm losing it. I think I, I really am losing it. Something's just not right. I said, I keep on having this freaking dream that my father was shot and that, and there was blood everywhere. I said, and I remember there was a light coming through that door. I kept on telling you the light was so bright. I said, and, and it just, I kept on, I would go to sleep and I would have this dream. I kept on having the dream. I actually didn't even want to tell you because I was like, I'm definitely going to not be allowed to go back. So I talked to you about it and something says to me, just ask, right? Ask or start looking and start searching. So my father had a suitcase, an old suitcase. And I was like, I'm going to go over there and see if I can find something. So I started looking, I just started snooping and I found a article, a newspaper article and it had my father in there and he was shot. And uh, so I go to him and my father's a very private man. He doesn't like to talk about war. He doesn't like to talk about any of that. And you know, you know how families are, especially Hispanic families, right. secrets don't. So I ask him, and he's like, why are you always trying to look for things? And I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm not like, I listen. I said, I found this article. I want to know something about it. He tells me briefly some things. And, and he tells me it was my mother's brother that did it. And it was over some feud. And, but he didn't really go into specifics. So I go to the Long Branch Public Library. <laughs> and I'm like, and this is dating myself because there was a microfish, right? <laughs> And I had to go, it was, it took me forever to find this doggone thing, but I found it and I found the articles and um, it was, it, that was the reason that I was having such a hard time. And the craziest part about it is I, I wanted to find the actual case uh, to read it. But when I was told that they were all stored in boxes and, and they, and they, they couldn't find it, that I mean, it would probably be hard to find and whatever and I just kind of some things you just you just have to leave alone but the thing that I remembered from that from that dream that I was having that really wasn't a dream was that the the smell of the blood right 
the smell of blood, which always did something to me when I would go to calls and stuff, right? But the sound of the gun going off was my, my uncle was going to shoot me in the head. So all those memories, um, all, that, all that incident, that traumatic incident that day with this officer sparked all those memories for me. And, uh, you know, you don't think of that, that people are affected by things. And you would never think that, these, that, those, that was my past, that, that I had a hard time. But that was me. You had no memory of it. I mean, you had no conscious memory no. of that. How old were you, Tony, when your dad was shot? I think I was like two. I don't even know. I think I was two. It's just amazing how it got encoded. And what you're talking about, the encoding, you know, we talk about how incidents are encoded, sight, sound, taste, smell, you know, all of that. And so for you, which makes sense as, as such a young girl, is it got encoded in smell and it got encoded in sound. Yeah, the sound for sure. Yeah. Yep. And the fact that, which is kind of interesting, so that the individual was kicked in the head and again, that for you, it, it was going to be something having to do with the head. Yeah. So crazy, right? So I remember my dad, you know what's crazy is, and I, I don't know, People probably are like, you can't remember that stuff. But I'm telling you, I remember my dad holding me and my little brother, because it was my second brother that he was holding. And we joke around because they weren't married. <laughs> my parents weren't married yet, right? So we're, I'm like, you know, we, we, we joke around. Everything, you know, you have to laugh because life, life is, is serious enough. So uh, I remember it was October. I remember everything October. And it was weird how that month always brought something like it was always something that i remembered for october yeah so what actually made you go into the military well it wasn't this that's for sure i was mad at my parents so <laughs> so i was very shy believe it or not I was very shy all through high school. I never, I barely spoke. The joke in my school was that they didn't think I spoke English, but, but I did, because um, I was so quiet. Um, I was in college. I was in Monmouth College for a year, and my parents couldn't afford the, you know, the tuition. So I went to Brookdale for like a half a semester, and I got kind of upset at my parents because I had a scholarship to go to another school, and they didn't want me to go there. So uh, it was too far. So I um, had this bright idea because my brother was in the army. He went in the army before me. I decided to go to a recruiter in Red Bank and walk in and say, hey, I'm ready for this. I want some college money. And that's basically what I did. And I didn't even have a plan. I just said, I want to do something exciting which you should never tell a recruiter that you want to do something exciting because you're going to wind up in what I was, a Hawk Missile crew member <laughs> in the field, setting up tents and stuff like that. But um, that's, what, that's how I wound up in the Army. And stayed there for how long? Um, active duty, I only stayed a couple years. And then I did a total of 12 years with active reserve and inactive reserve time. Um, I was gonna stay in, but then my son was having a hard time with it. You know, when the war picked back up, and uh, you remember that. Uh, so I just decided to get out. It was an honorable discharge, um, and that was it. How soon after that, or were you already on the job? I was already on the job. I don't know if you remember, I, I did reserve time while I was in, in the police department. So I did, I, 2003 was when I ETSed out, so. Any regrets on not staying with the military and, and doing the full career there rather than the PD and doing the full career here? Yeah, I never wanted to be a police officer. Let, let's, just, let's just put that on the table. I actually fell into this job. I, um, my brother who went in the army, this, I have two brothers, my second brother went in the army and back then, 
there was a like a civil service uh, form that you fill out. So you would go to your local police department. They would give you the the civil service thing. It was five dollars. My brother put his name on a list, and they mailed the application for the test to our house. So the mail came, and I I was living in my parents' upstairs uh, in the upstairs part of their house with my ex and my son, and I get this mail from my brother. So I asked him if I could open it. I said, there's mail for you. Do you want me to open it? He goes, open it, open it. And I tell him it's for the Long Branch Police Department. And what do you want me to do with it? He goes, throw it away. I was like, I'm not throwing this out. I look at it. I look at it and I fill it out. I fill it out. I'm like, I could take a test, you know? And back then it was basic skills, right? So I was like, I sent it in. I took the test and I scored well on it, right? My ex-husband also took the test and we both came out. I came out in front of him and he came out behind, I think, whatever. We had the same score, which was weird. And uh, I'm like, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this. I'm like, I need a job and, and I, need, I, need, I, need to, I need to survive. Like I had a little boy, you know what I mean? So I did it. I just took the test and I wound up in it. Um, I regret not staying in the military. Okay, I do regret that um, because I really loved it. I really did love the army, um, but it just didn't work out that way. You know, there was a there was another path I had to take. You know. Yes. So, so when people are talking about resiliency, because that you know, you and I have kind of touched on this you know, when we have our own private time, is that this is kind of like the new buzzword or the alleged new buzzword, and everybody's kind of know homing in on it and yet it's how you survived you know it's how you survived your whole life and being able to to grab from that and that's something that you know I talk about a lot because I think I just get genuinely pissed off you know hearing like it's a new goddamn term about we need resiliency training we need this we need that I don't know a more resilient population than you guys. You get, I mean, you. I, you know, I'll, I'll crawl into the fetal position someplace. <laughs> you guys are like, ah, Steph, come on out. I got your back. I'm like, uh, <laughs> a little bit later. Thank you. Um, that you guys just, you get it. You get it on a very different level. And, and yet, you know, being able to help officers in their, in their wellness, you know, being able to be a role model, being able to really take the crap for, you know, uh, having the feel good squad. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, kind of the, the path you took. And, and when, when I talk about, you know, when I, I talked in the opening about, you know, you, you making this change that something had occurred that kind of put you into a, a different, a different path. So you had already kind of, you had gotten on the job you had been, you know, on the job, you know, really for such a short period of time, been involved in a traumatic incident, ended up, you know, making a, it, the only career choice you could make, which was to do the right thing, because it's who you are. Um, that you're always somebody that, that stood alone. Um, so that, that dealing with that and, and kind of, you know, overcoming some of the barriers there, you know, I know how incredibly well respected you, you were and you are um, you. by people that, that I know and I respect. I mean, so that's who would respect you. And, you know, choosing therapy, choosing to deal with just the underlying crap that just, you know, kind of to wring it out, open up those drawers, figure out what's dirty, what fits, what doesn't fit, get rid of them. And when you're going to put it back in, we're going to make sure it's clean and folded completely. So we're not trying to pull the, uh, the dresser. You know how you always have like too many socks, too many underwear, yeah. <laughs> the t-shirts that you had from your favorite, you know, concert back in, you know, yeah. 1983. So, you know, those are the shirts that you're like, oh, shit. You know, they got holes. We can get rid of them. It's all good. So that you did that work. Um, you did it beautifully and, and you didn't rush, you know, you, you chose to, to stay there for years 
you used the tools that you had to just continue to be who you are and, and to, and you embraced it. You know, therapy, there was something about therapy for you that just really ruminated. Yeah. It said, you know, there's something in here that feels right. This isn't campy. This isn't, you know, I always say, you know, we're not going to do a round of kumbaya. <laughs> it's really not the right therapist to do the round of kumbaya. <laughs> I was going to say no. <laughs> yeah, right. um, you know, as I always say, a you know, warm, fuzzy, you know, three miles down the road and held watching her. So, um, so, so you, you get out and you continue your career. You, you, you promote up. Um, you, you have a voice and, and then there's another, there's another impasse. Yeah. So kind of take us, take us through that. So I'm, I'm, I'm very open about, um, therapy. I think it's one of the best things that, that anyone can really do. You talk to someone, you release what's on your mind, but the biggest reason that it was so good for me was that I never really, my, I never got to talk about my feelings with my family. I, I, I hate to talk bad about my parents, but they hated each other. You know what I mean? And we saw a lot of turmoil growing up in our home. Um, it was, it was not easy, you know, and most of the times I felt like I was taking care of them versus them taking care of me. And that's something that I really don't talk about, you know. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's one of those things that you're almost embarrassed to talk about, you know, when you, when you say something like that about a family or, or um, you know, you don't want to, they're hardworking people. They did the best they could with what they had. You know what I mean? And I love them. I, I love them. You know, you talked about, you know, Frank Shakowitz coming on. Yes. Know, and, you, and you kind of following him up. Oh, my God. And I talked about the similarities, actually, between the two of you. And he said something, which you'll kind of recall, when, when, when I asked something about his mom. Yes. And, and he talked about that it wasn't about love, that it was about respect. And he also said that he was glad that he was raised in the Mexican culture. Yeah. Did that ruminate with you? It did. When, when he said that, I was like, oh, my God. Because, you know, my mom was, she had a hard life. My mom had a hard life. And I give that woman a lot of credit for even raising us the best way she could. You know, she was given away. Um, she wasn't even 13. She was sent away to another family. Um, she became their maid. Can you imagine 11, 12, 13 years old being someone's maid? Um, she probably never heard someone say, hey, listen, I love you. You know what I mean? She came from a huge family. And my grandmother was an alcoholic, you know? Um, and the stories that my mom tells me now, because we, we have a good relationship believe it or not. <laughs> um, we talk deeply about stuff. And uh, I look at her, instead of looking at her with eyes of, you know what, you never gave me a hug and told me you love me. I look at her with, wow, you know what, you, you actually taught me to be a good mom, you know, and you gave me the strength. Because you know, she used to always say, um, you got to go to school, you got to go to school, and you got to get your education. She would always say stuff. And uh, she would always say, don't take this person's crap. Don't take that person's crap. So really, when you think about it, the way that I am is because of what I heard and what I saw. And that gave me the strength to push forward. Um, so, because I'm sorry. To no, it's okay. Because, you know, when you talk about, you know, that you don't want to talk badly, you know, or bad about your mom. Yeah. You know. I know your heart, and it's not that you're talking bad about her. It's it's understanding kind of the essence of her. Yeah. The limitations, you know, and that and that's what you know Frank had talked about was the yeah. limitations. And 
and where they potentially come from and the ability to forgive. Because once I think we understand, once we no longer are, are dying of thirst, going to a well that we know is empty, yeah. once we can take care of our own thirst from other wells and other locations, then we get to go to the, to the dry well nourished. Yeah. Not looking for, for something and being able to accept the limitations because we're no longer asking. And when you talk about, you know, she wasn't really your mom, but you were kind of the parent. My guess is that she never knew how to be no. that. And my guess is that she looks at you and she sees everything that she didn't end up being that you are, you are truly a force to be reckoned with. Thanks. That the answer no or you can't is merely words and an obstacle. It is a challenge. It is not a, anything that's written in stone. And, and that is what you've grabbed and the love that you're able to have for her is probably a different love than other people have, but it's no greater, no less, no better, no worse. Who the hell is anybody to assign a love or a value to how we experience, how we care about another human being? Yeah. So. Yeah, I just, I, I wanna say like my, my mom, you know, she didn't even know how to read or write. When we were growing up, she didn't, she couldn't read or write. And uh, I remember she would come to me and she would say, you know, I want, I need you to write this letter. And I was like 10 years old and I would sit there and I would call the bills and I would, and I would call and make letters. I would, I was handwriting checks at the age of 10. And I'm not saying anything bad about that. I, they, I learned early on in my life how to be strong and how to, and how to do these things. Right. And I remember in between all the craziness that was going on, my, she would always say, you need to go to school because you don't want to be like me. And I was like, I could teach you how to read and write. And we would, we would say that to her all the time. We could, she eventually went to school and she got her um, high school diploma and she actually became a, 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 a licensed practic practical nurse. I think that's yeah. LPM. Yeah. 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 I don't know if I'm saying it right. But anyway, she, she did this at the age of 60. Um, so I was really proud of her. Um, for doing that, but my drive and my will to push through th through everything was how I was, how I grew up. And whenever I heard no, that meant yes. And I was just like, I'm going to do it, you know? Um, so, so you, uh, you know, yes, you, I was you say, so, so talk about that impasse. Yeah, you did. And, and I had to write it down because I forget stuff. So, um, so this is like almost, I want to say three or four years ago, I was not feeling very well. I was sick and I often don't listen to, like when I get a cold or whatever, I just don't listen to myself. I just keep on pushing. But this day, I kept on leaving stuff in my house and I kept on leaving things and I, I kept on coming back. I left my uniform. I came back. I got my bag. I came back. I, I, I even left my flashlight. So I was like, I was late to work. I'm never late to work. You can ask anybody. I'm always there early. But this day, every sign was pointing at stay home. And I didn't listen to it. I, I wound up at work. I, what has led me on this path to wellness and to speaking up about stress and how it affects first responders is what happened to me on that day. I responded to to a call which i didn't even think it was going to turn out like that but when i got there it, it came in as a fight and what happened was it was a it wasn't a fight it was a murder and what no one really stopped to ask me was if i knew what what happened because or if i knew the person so I walked in and I, I was make I made some mistakes, you know, and I never, I never am one to 
to not own my mistakes, but I walked in to the place and I saw the guy's face and I was like, something happened. A um, couple weeks before that, he had come into our um, headquarters and, and said that this was going to happen. And, you know, we don't get enough credit. Stephanie, as cops, I'm just going to say, we don't get enough credit uh, because we see a lot of stuff and, and you'll hear people say, oh, well, that's what you signed up for. I did not sign up to see the death destruction every single day. And, and I did not, my eyes were not meant to see that. I signed up to help people and that's part of it. But all that that go, that we see, all that does something to you. It, it is it does something to you. Now, that day when I walked in, the blood was what triggered me. There was blood everywhere and there was brains everywhere. And I'm not afraid of that, okay? But the smell, the smell took me back and I walked out. Um, and some other things happened that were not fair. Um, because some people just don't know their place on, in life um, as a human. But when someone goes into a traumatic incident or a critical incident like that, the first thing you don't do is attack them, okay? Give it, a, give it some time. Give some time. Let them debrief. Let them talk to somebody. Let them, let them get that off their chest, right? Let them speak to someone. Don't come after them. Because when you come after someone, you're not helping them. Thank God that I have people that I can go to and talk to. You know, imagine the person that doesn't or that doesn't even know that to do that. Right. Right. So my path to wellness started. Um, I was already getting my bachelor's in health and wellness, and I had to do a paper for stress and how it affects people, right? And then I opened up this book. This all happens at the same time. And I decide that I'm going to do a paper on stress and how it affects first responders. And then I get this idea in the middle of, because I was really upset. I was really upset and I had a really hard time. I decided to go and start talking about stress online on Facebook and um, blogging about it and you know, just bringing light to a, a subject that people just really don't think is, is real. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, there's something really cool because the states kind of acknowledged it and nobody's done it. Um, is is you, you started this resiliency room. Yeah. So I really want you to kind of tell the listeners, what is a resiliency room? Kind of what's in it? What was it? What's, what's it there for? How do your officers find out where it is? How does it keep private? Because nobody knows where it is. I do not yeah. know where it is. You know, you and I are typing, none of my business where it is. Thanks. So how do you kind of, kind of give me the, give me the lay of the land? Cause this is just, so wonderful, and I know that people throughout the country are looking at being able to to use what you have created Thank you. as a model for for them um, to add on to programs, to begin programs, or what have you. So, so tell me about the resiliency room, please. So, thank you for asking. It's actually something that really I feel like in my heart. So, I have to backtrack backtrack a little bit and say that I, I had some illness occur in my, in my, in my life, um, in my career. So I've had some really crazy things happen. And the last thing that happened was I started losing my voice, right? And I had to have some surgery uh, on my vocal cords and I wound up going to a speech therapist who is amazing. And uh, she, works I, I i don't even want to shout out her name because i don't know if it's okay if i say anything but she was amazing and as i was learning to use my voice again because i lost my voice um 
I tell her, she says, what are you passionate about? And I tell her, I'm passionate about helping police officers. And she goes, why? I said, because we go through stress. And these are all things that I was, was going through. So she says, uh, well, I have, a, I have something to show you. And she shows me a, a, a room uh, and a list of things that people do to relieve stress. So she goes, if you want to do that, she goes, you have to think about these things, right? And I almost think like she was an angel put on my path because she believed in my idea, right? So I, I continuously go to this speech therapy. I go there for a while and I wind up hearing that there's this uh, summit for resiliency officers and I want to be a part of it. I asked if I can go. But in the whole time, I wanted this room that I had created, right, in my mind. And I actually have a app, you know, Pinterest, you can make a board and make it private. So I made a board and I made it private. It's almost like a vision board, right? If you're like kind of weird like me and you think about those things. So I create this whole room. I go to this thing and I come back and one of the captains says, hey, do you have numbers for the officers? He goes, because I really think this is important. You know, suicide is a real thing, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, we don't have anything yet. I said, because we're not trained. I said, but I have an idea. He goes, well, what's your idea? I said, well, I need to sit, sit down and talk to you about it. And uh, he goes, so we go into his office and I tell him my idea. And he goes, well, he goes, well, how's that going to work? I said, when I explained to him, I said, listen, I said, all I need is a room. That's it. All I need is a room. So this went on for a while, back and forth. He was very open to it. Um, and I'm sure I could say his name. Sure. Uh, Captain Silverio, he, he was actually very open to it. Um, and I kept on going back and forth, back and forth. So one day I go into these office and I said, listen, I said, I really wanna start this. I said, I really wanna have a room. I said, and I, I said, the reason is, is because I said, we need a place that we can de-stress. I said, the reason is sometimes people get on your nerves. I said, maybe it's a coworker. I said, you just need to go somewhere and sit and just decompress for a few minutes. I said, you just need a spot. I said, but the thing, the reason was I created a course. I created a course on mindfulness, right? And I wanted to share it. I wanted to share it with them, right? So of course, COVID happens. I haven't been able to to share this course that I created, but the room was created with that intention, right? So it's a private location. Um, we want to keep it away from the headquarters. I, I, it's a hot, to me, it is very important to keep it away from headquarters. There's something that happens when people are around other officers, okay? Especially, you know, sometimes we say things that we don't really want that are not nice, you know, or we joke around and we may, we may be hurting someone if we see them going into the resiliency room and they're like, ah, there you go. You know, so you don't want to do that. Right. So you want to, you want to take them away from that. Right. But the way that the room is set up, it's set up for where you can have your lunch. You can meditate if you want to. There's um, aromatherapy, there's a salt lamp, there's a different things and um, furniture in there. There's a table. There is a place for an officer to have the privacy that they need. And a lot of people are like, well, wh why do you need privacy? Well, have you ever had your lunch, sat down and e e eaten your lunch and had to look around the room 50 times in between each bite? No, a lot of people don't know what that feels like. Or so true. everybody walks in and you're sitting, you have your back against a wall because you're afraid someone's gonna come in and, and kill you. I mean, let's be honest, it happens. It has happened. So- it happened in your department. Well, yeah, I mean, it is, it's just so wrong. Like, yep. you know, we're human beings. And in spite of what people want to say out here and they want to say, not every person out here, not every cop out here is a bad person, right? Not everyone out here came on this job because they needed power, okay? Some of us needed a job, all right? <laughs> so to treat us like we're no good is not, the way that that it should be done you want you want to have good people out here you want to have people who are functioning treat them like you treat the rest of the world by having a wellness program by ha by, by giving them the option to go to therapy 
by having debriefings and, and critical in, handled the right way. If that's what you want, then that's what you need to do. And I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know, I might be 90 years old and you guys may be like, Here, there she is again in front of Congress talking all this smack. But I, I'm telling you, until I, I leave this planet, I'm not going to stop. And, and, and you better not. Thank you. Because, because the message has to be, I mean, and the message isn't just for law enforcement. It really, at this point, is for, is for all civilians. I mean, it's not just, you know, not all cops are bad. Damn it, few cops, few. You know, and it's interesting because you don't want to be judged. You know, people don't want to be, be judged for their color, for their race, for their religion, for, for beliefs. And yet cops are judged for the damn uniform. I know. How does that work logically? It's terrible. I mean, it, it's just, and then you become a target. Like nobody knows when I'm walking around that I'm a Jew. Nobody knows, you know, that, that somebody's, you know, Christian, somebody's Muslim. Right. You, know, you can't even tell somebody is Hispanic a lot of the times. I know. But damn it, in that uniform? It's terrible. It's terrible. So, I, uh, I don't know. I, I want, listen, I, I've always been so proud to wear that uniform, even though I did not plan to be a police officer. And I remember being in the locker room recently, and I was looking at everything, and I was like, I'm still proud of you. I'm still proud of you. I still, I'm still proud of wearing that. But then I left the locker room and I was like, well, I just got to be, be a little bit more careful, you know? <laughs> That's... Yeah. It's, it's so difficult. Tell me about uh, G3 learning systems because you so, created that a, yes. a little bit ago. I did. I, so in 2012, uh, so let, this is like really going to be funny, but I used to teach Spanish um uh for law enforcement i created a, a program with other people so there was like uh, a lot of other officers and we came together and we created a a program for for spanish so everybody went their separate ways people retired or whatever and uh i decided that i wanted to um teach spanish again but the problem was that you really couldn't do it on company time you had to take your own time so the best way in my mind was to create a, a small company and doing it that way and barely charging for, for it. But you know, when you start things out sometimes and they just don't work out, it's a sign from the universe that you're not really on the right track. So I kept the name G3 Learning Systems because G3 stands for Gonzalez's, Gonzalez three, there's three of us. And I honor my brothers, us three, the three amigos, all right, we made it through this. <laughs> Uh, my, my, my oldest, my second brother retired from the army as a command sergeant major. And my little brother works for, you know, a local hospital and he's currently getting his, obtaining his uh, bachelor's degree. So we are people that didn't stop. We kept on pushing. Um, and I, we're proud of that. So G3 Learning System stands for that. And like I said, it started out with the Spanish and now it is a wellness uh, program. So it's wellness for you. Um, and it's a tier under G3 Learning Systems. And I still keep it. Um, at this point, I'm just creating courses on my own. I'll be launching my first program. There's, I, there's programs out here on my website, but my first program will be launched in November. And it's, it's going to be super inexpensive. Trust me. I'm not trying to, I'm not so, trying to rob nobody's pockets. <laughs> so what's the website that, that people uh, can go to if they want to learn more about this and you and what have you? So it's... Uh, www.itsmetony.com and you'll see my face there when you when you go on it but what I did is I built it myself so I initially had someone build my site before and then I have friends who said you know there's nothing more awesome than you doing something yourself and figuring it out and that's true it took me four months to build it and I'm sure there's some glitches in there if there is bear with me people I am not a tech savvy girl but what you get there is mindfulness practices, breathing practices. I created worksheets for you to write down things that you want to do for yourself. Um, I came up with a booklet on, uh, it's called the wellness guide and it's five tips to help you relieve stress. I also have two courses on course craft um, that, I, that I created 
and you can go into those and one is $22, the other one's $47, you know, I made them super inexpensive. Um, and I also created a journal, which I self-published, um, and I'm having trouble trying to get that link, but that is a way to write things down when they upset you. So there's so many tips and tricks that I have used throughout my 24 years in law enforcement and from reading a lot of books and things that have helped me relieve my stress. And those are the tips that I share um, on this website. It's awesome. I mean, Thank and you. also, I mean, I want to talk about just, just quickly, I want everybody to know that you do a Facebook Live uh, I do. Show on uh, wellness for you, mindfulness for first responders so that they can sign up and follow you. And it's on Thank you. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Yes, yes, I do. Uh, Mondays is, so I have an Alexa flash briefing um, that I created, which that was another, that was like giving birth all over again without, without the shot. Okay. Um, but anyway, I created it and that Alexa flash briefing, which is going to play now, do not play Alexa. Uh, so <laughs> no off Alexa. Sorry. So anyway, the elect, the, the, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no. Off. Oh my God. Alexa off. That is hilarious. It is. So anyway, that plays every, every Sunday I record the weekly message that I'm going to share on, on Facebook. So whatever I'm focusing on it, whether it's breathing or it's meditation or it's exercise or it's, I do so many different things, uh, writing gratitude. I, I announce it there. It's just always so positive, you know, and, and again, you. you know, be, being, being part of the solution. I mean, there's just, there's, there's so many problems and we can just, you know, we can spend hours bitching and we're going to go nowhere and, and truly being part of the solution is, is key. And you have, you have done that. Thank you. You've shared so much today. I know. I, I'm, I'm so grateful that you agreed to come on um, and that you're just so open um, with, with sharing kind of stuff from, from your past and, and how you were able to get to where you are and create what, what you do. And I know that you know, you're looking at retiring, which will be you know, a, a loss to law enforcement and a gain oh, in so many other ways, but you know, I'm not, I'm not counting that retirement quite yet. You know, that. Oh. <laughs> so um, I, I just want to say, um, you ne you never get to places by yourself. And, um, I am truly grateful for all the bad and good that's happened, but the bad led me to you, believe it or not. And I came out really with such a good feeling and a, and an understanding for, why humans do things and why they why things happen. You gave me the tools that I was able to use throughout my career. I wasn't always this calm. You know that I had to go through a lot of steps and a lot of things, but you taught me a lot. And I'm sure that everyone that you have talked to and met or, or whatever dealt with will say the same thing. Um, and without you, I wouldn't be here. So thank, thank you. you. And, and truly, without you, neither would I. And don't oh. ever get excited of that, truly. So, so thank you. Thank you for yeah. coming on. Thank you for spending your, your Sunday night uh, with me. Oh, yeah, and, it was a pleasure. Uh, thank you. And I look forward to, uh, to, uh, to another 24 years. <laughs> at least. Um, and, uh, and I hope that you join us uh, next week. And, uh, for everybody out there, please join me next week on Step Therapy 911 with Stephanie Samuels. And we're going to be having a, uh, a New Jersey state trooper who is the first gay state trooper who uh, came out in his story and kind of his resilience and, uh, and how he ended up making a difference. So anyway, look forward to seeing everybody there. Please, please spread the word that, uh, that we're on. Uh, Stay safe, everybody. See you. Thanks, Steph.